So last time uh, we got together, um, we uh, you know we're starting off in in uh, Paul and Barnabas's journey and uh, their first missionary trip, um, and so uh, they had gone to Cyprus uh, from Antioch, and it was a, a good visit there. Um, the proconsul uh, came to faith, and uh, no real trouble that they faced, at least that wasn't presented in in scripture. Uh, then they moved up uh, the coast of Turkey or Asia Minor, you know, which is kind of like a, a bridge, Asia Minor uh, being that bridge between, you know, you've got, let's see, we'll go from the map if you're looking like east to west. You've got Asia Minor here, you've got Israel here, and you've got Greece and, and Rome. So kind of Asia Minor is that like land bridge that kind of connects, um, you know, these two main areas, you know, where Jerusalem, where, you know, kind of our, our focal point is to the central parts of the developed world. And so Paul is going in Asia Minor, and, and what you're really going to see is kind of uh, military outposts in a lot of places where they're going to go and, and set up churches. And so we see that Paul and Barnabas kind of follow a, a route where um, there are Jewish settlements. And uh, the first place they go to is Antioch uh, in Pisidia, uh, or Pergamum, uh, but Antioch Pisidia is what they, they call it. And um, they uh, share the gospel at a synagogue, and uh, people would beg them to hear, hear more the next week. And large crowds came. And because of the large crowds, um, it turned from, you know, hey, let's hear more to the Jewish leaders all of a sudden getting jealous of the large crowds and the people that had gathered. And so um, they kind of turned on Paul and Barnabas. It says they blasphemed them, and then they got some of the leaders of the city to kind of incite people to push Paul and Barnabas out of town. And when they, um, you know, were pushed out of town, you know, they, what, you guys remember what they did? What, what symbol they did to say, like, all right, we're, we're done with this place? Shake the dust off their feet, yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of where we're at. They're brushing the dust off, and they're moving on to the next place. But we see that, that they had said, all right, since the Jews have rejected the gospel, we're moving on to the Gentiles, and that's kind of the pattern that we're going to see of now they're going to go after the Gentiles. They're, they're not neglecting the Jews totally, but it's going to be a pattern that every city uh, where we see a synagogue, they're going to go to the synagogue, and then they're going to go to the Gentiles. And we kind of talked about some of those reasons. We may you know, touch base on them a little bit more. But Paul and Barnabas have kind of been pushed out, and they go to the next place, but they left behind uh, it says, people that were filled with joy, uh, verse 52 of chapter 13, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they're leaving on, even though they're pushed out of town, they're leaving on a good note. They're leaving with the fact that they've got disciples there um, in Antioch. So let me pray, and uh, we're going to jump into uh, to our study. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity again to can just kind of Stop and walk uh, in the shoes of Paul and Barnabas um, as they go from one place to the next. Uh, help us to see um, how, they, uh, how they act, how they respond, um, how you uh, fill them with your spirit, how people uh, respond to them. And Lord, help us to learn and to glean you know, things that we can apply to our own lives, things that we can say maybe you know, we don't do uh, what, what some of the other people did, um, but even just to see how it can grow us and really to help us to, not, to, to worship you more fully and to also be able to share the gospel uh, more readily. And so help us today as we kind of move from the next, to the next town um, in their journey and, uh, and uh, help us to be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So in chapter 14, um, we're going to see kind of, uh, you know, how, uh, what happens um, in this new town that they go to is Iconium. So if we're here, um, you know, if you kind of say Asia Minor, say it's like in the middle of, of these kind of bars, um, they had gone up to the center of Asia Minor, and um, it's possible they took a route around, but there is a, ta- a, a, a road that goes from Ephesus, which is on the west side of Asia Minor, and kind of creeps around and down this way. Um, Antioch Pisidia is where they were at, is right near this road that is going to take them to the next place. It's called the uh, Via Sebaste or Sebastian Way, um, also sometimes known as the Imperial Road. But it would have been a uh, more paved road and definitely sections of it where they could have pulled wagons um, for travel of troops uh, to get across Asia Minor, again, to, to, to link kind of the Western world to the Eastern world. That's what kind of Asia Minor was, even though it was considered the East, but it was kind of like that, that in-between area to kind of link those two. And so you see that the next places that they're going to go are right on this, this highway, um, and that's where they're headed. Now, they're pushed out of town, and it says they go to verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, so we'll kind of pause right there. Um, and so it says that they went to Iconium. Again, Iconium is located off this uh, Sebastian Way. And you kind of pause and think, um, one, if you're, if you're kind of pushed out of town, you know, and they, they kind of shake their feet, they have a couple ways that they can go. Now, they could have gone west which would have been towards Ephesus. And we know they're going to go that way eventually. Or they could go east. If they go west, where, um, why would that be, you know, what would be a benefit of going west? Towards like Ephesus, which is uh, the western part of Asia Minor on the coast. And then, you know, just across there is going to be Greece. What's the benefit of going that way? What's that? Okay, you're close. I thought you said enemy, but that's true too. So close to the heart of the empire, okay, which could mean bigger cities, more influence, things like that. We're going to see them actually go that way. Uh, what does that also mean if you go that direction? What's the, what's the, the, the negative of going that way? Where's their home base? Well, their, their home base is... Uh, all right, so... Say we have uh, Jerusalem here, okay, and then we'll say Antioch is up here, and we'll, we'll just say kind of Asia Minor is here, this blob. Okay, so Antioch, and they go to Cyprus, so we'll say Israel is here. Man, I'm going to have to read it. All right, so, all right. All right, so we'll say that. So Antioch is their home base. It's kind of a rough. You can look at your maps if you're like want a more detailed look. So they go to Cyprus, and then they go up through the middle, uh, and we said they kind of took a, maybe a harder route to go to Antioch and Pisidia. And this is where they get um, kind of pushed out. And the road kind of goes like this. And so they could go west, which is to Greece and to Rome and, and Ephesus, we'll say, is, is here. And uh, we're going to get to there at some point. But um, that also drives them further away from home. And remember, this is their first missionary journey. So they probably don't want to get too far away from like their home base because along the way, 
You know, and especially if, you know, if you read in uh, 2 Corinthians um, where Paul kind of lays out all the dangers that he, he faced. But we even said making the travel up from here to here uh, would have been kind of along this valley. Um, it would have been, but it wouldn't have been an, uh, there would have, wouldn't have been military outposts. They would have been along this kind of highway. And so there was a lot of robbers and things that they might have faced. We don't know that they faced any, but Paul says he did face those things later on. But that was kind of a typical dangerous kind of road to, to go that they're probably going to head back towards Antioch. So if they're going to take this road. They may want to develop some areas that are closer. We'll also see that here is, towards the end of this road, is Tarsus. Do you know where Tarsus was? Or who is from Tarsus? Paul is from Tarsus. So there could be also um, a desire to start heading back to where they're from. Because the first place they went to was what? Cyprus. And who was from Cyprus? Barnabas. Yeah, so their first kind of missionary journey is to kind of stay close to home. Um, and that makes sense, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, go out and establish a church, it's much easier to establish a church, you know, theoretically, closer to home, because you have kind of resources, and you have a knowledge of the area, and maybe people, and, you know, maybe relatives, or a little bit, you know, in that area, but the further you go away, the, the more in kind of territory that is unknown, for you. So when they get pushed out of town, it could have been that they were just pushed out of town in the direction that they were going and started to head that way. But I think there might have been some logical reasons to, to go closer to home and even maybe to start making their way back to Tarsus. Um, but we're going to find out that they don't make it there and for very valid reasons. So they go to Iconium, um, which is about 80 miles, which has been about a four. So from here, it's about here on the... Um, on the road, about 80 miles, and it's, uh, you know, about a four-day journey. So it would have taken some time to get there. We don't know, you know, what's, you know, what's been said, although, um, uh, you know, they, they made it there, and it says they entered together, and where did they first go? They went to the, the synagogue, okay? So they, they make it to this town, and um, when they start traveling... Uh, they do make a four-day journey, and uh, this town, Iconium, which is actually named uh, for the word icon, which means image, um, they're right on a plain, which uh, the people had said during, uh, myth- you know, mythology said that they had, uh, two gods had flooded the area and um, taken mud and formed people and then breathed life into them. And so the people, this is where like people were first made, and the town was named after that. Icons are the image, and so the image of people is uh, where the town got its name. But it's right on the edge of a plain, uh, which got heavy sandstorms, but also heavy blizzard in the summer, and then heavy uh, blizzards during the winter. But it was an agricultural kind of hub right there. So a good stopping point for them to be. It was also a colonized city, um, meaning that they would have had a military outpost and they would have had, also had some privileges that were associated with that. But we know that there also is a developed Jewish population, and that's kind of where they're going to stop. So they're going to stop there, and it says they go to the synagogue. And again, that was their pattern. Why did they go to the synagogue first? I know we've said this several times, so this should kind of now come, come easy. Well, they go to the synagogue first. Homeboys. What's that? Homeboys. <laughs> Homeboys, Okay. Yeah, we'll just say that, right? You know, so. 
Right. That's, that's who they can relate with. That's where they can maybe, last time they went to the synagogue, they got a hearing. They said, stand up and speak and, uh, you know, share with us the word. And, and so they did, and we, we got to hear what the message was, and people believed. The exact same thing happens, although we don't know what was said. But it says that they entered together in the synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, so Jews were there. Uh, Greeks were allowed to be there. It was in the last place that said those who were God-fearing. But they spoke in such a way that both Jews and Greeks believed. We have the same situation, the same thing that's happening back in Antioch. Okay, but, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, Whereas last time in Antioch, the people said, come back again next week, we see right away that the unbelieving Jews um, had some issues with what was being said and what was going on. And we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why in a second. The word for, it says they poison their minds. Does anyone have another translation for that? Verse 2. Embittered. Embittered, okay? Yeah, the, the, the Greek word is kind of a, a compound word. It's the word for bad or evil, uh, uh, also kind of uh, paired up with the word soul. So it, like they batted their soul or, or eviled their soul, but you know, poisoned their minds. But basically it's kind of the idea is that they turned them against Paul. They blasphemed them at Antioch. And here it says they took the, they took the Gentiles, stirred them up, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, verse 3, So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so they shared the gospel, um, or at least they spoke in such a way that people believed. And so ultimately, they must have shared the gospel in some sense to, to share what, what it is that they were, were teaching. And so we have on one hand that both Jews and Greeks believed what they were saying, uh, but we also have on the other hand, some responded how? Negatively. Negatively, okay? Sp- responded not only just negatively, like, you know, whatever, you believe what you want to believe, but spoke in such a way that they then are going to disparage these two guys that are coming into town uh, speaking this word of God. It could be the fact that we see that both Jews and Je- Greeks, um, and again, we, we see that word Greek is kind of interesting. They're not using the word Gentile, but the idea of Greek kind of uh, insinuates that same, same idea that they came to believe, and likely because Greeks are now believing, some of the Jews might have a problem with that. Because again, the Jews were God's chosen people, and the reason that they went to the synagogue first, before going to the Gentiles, was so they wouldn't upset the Jews. But ultimately, that's going to happen, right? The gospel is going to upset people. And upset them in such a way that they turned against them. Now, what was the reason that the people, the leaders turned against them? Like Luke said the reason. What was the, what was the heart issue? Do you remember? It was jealousy. 
They saw the crowds and they were jealous, and so then they started reviling them. And so I, I don't doubt that there is some sort of issue that is at their heart of jealousy, of the fact that uh, you know Greeks should not be involved in what God is doing, and they're turning against them, and even turning the Gentiles against these brothers. Now, it's important to get the Gentiles involved because this is a Roman colony, and so as far as law goes, right, the 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 Romans would have um, more uh, sway um, to do something about whatever is going on. So you need Gentile support. Otherwise, you know, they would just dismiss it and say, it's a religious thing between you guys. We'll actually see that happen uh, later on in Acts where the proconsul just says, you know, this is an issue between your religions. It really doesn't, really doesn't involve us. And so in this town, they're getting the Gentiles involved. Um, so, did Paul and Barnabas leave right away? Verse 3. They get rejection, and so do they, they you know, pick up and leave? No. What does it say? Yeah, it says they spent a long time there. Now, we don't know how long they spent there. Uh, weeks or you know maybe a month, probably not month, several months. We see that uh, you know a little bit in other places. But it says they remained there a long time, um, and you know preaching the gospel. Okay, speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, what else does it say that they did? Not only did they preach the gospel, but what else accompanied them? Okay, yeah. it says they did signs and wonders. Now, have we seen signs and wonders done yet by Paul and Barnabas? No. Well, yes and no. When we, see, when we see signs and wonders, we're seeing that there's probably um, a number of things that are happening. What were some of the signs and wonders that happened in Jerusalem in the early church? Okay. Yeah, so what were some of the things? You guys remember what some of the, the signs and wonders that kind of happened? Okay, speaking in tongues. Yeah, speaking in tongues was kind of one of the first signs and wonders to get the people's attention. What else do we have? Healing. Healing. You guys remember what the, you know, the people did? Um, they wanted to touch what? They wanted to touch a shadow of Peter as he walked by just to be healed. They brought people out into the streets, and we know that enraged the Jews because people were dragging people from outside the city to just become, you know, get near Peter to get healed. What else happened? What's that? Instant death, okay? Was that outside the church or inside the church? It happened in the church, okay? Yeah, so instant death. So, right, God was judging believers on the inside, which was something that got the attention of people on the outside. Like, whoa, that church is serious. That God is serious about um, who is in and and how they practice and worship their God. Um, Other things we saw, we saw that there was a cripple, right, that uh, was healed, Um, Peter uh, healed them. Uh, that was a, a lame beggar that was outside. It was the, 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 in Acts chapter 3. Um, and uh, we even see you know, other things that are happening outside or inside the city. And so all these things are happening. Signs and wonders are accompanying. People are added to the church there in Jerusalem. And so when we see signs and wonders, these are maybe certain things that happen uh, along with Paul. So far, we've only really seen one miracle that Paul did. It was in Cyprus. And you guys remember what happened to him? What happened to the guy that kind of challenged the gospel? It was a magician. That he, what's that? 
Yeah. What's that? Yes. Yes. So uh, as Paul, as uh, the proconsul there said, I want to hear, you know, from you guys. And, and Paul was speaking. This uh, magician was, um, you know, speaking against what they were saying. And Paul said, you know, you are of the devil, you know, and uh, made him blind. And then it says the proconsul believed. And so these signs and wonders usually are seen um, in order to what? Why, why are miracles ever seen in Scripture? I, I kind of give you one secondarily. Secondarily, therefore, you know, compassion. And we see like Jesus healed people out of compassion um, and to, as a help to certain people. But primarily, they were for what? Validation. Validation. Yeah, to substantiate the message that they were saying. And especially being in a, a pagan area that they were run out of town. Um, and we see quickly that the Jews and Greeks, now it could be that they just um, quickly turned against Paul, but we also know even though it was a four-day journey, um, there was a major highway. This area was a marketplace for the people kind of in the area, and, I, uh, and so it's possible. We also are going to see a little bit later that Jews from Antioch kind of made their way down, and so it's possible that their influence already started to take root from where they're at. And so, but they didn't leave. They didn't leave and they continued to preach God. God used them and continued to um, uh, do signs and wonders to, to, again, substantiate what they were doing, maybe even to protect them. Um, if they're doing signs and wonders, it might be something to keep people at bay. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to lay hands on them because, one, how, why did the Jewish leaders not lay hands on Jesus or lay hands on uh, the apostles? They fear the people, right? And so if somebody's doing signs and wonders, people associate those guys, you know, re- the whole substantiation validation thing is that those guys are from God. And so now you start getting into kind of an issue of like, all right, well, I don't know if we can lay hands on them yet because the people obviously see that they're from God. We don't know exactly, you know, if, if uh, you know, we want to get involved because of what they're doing. And so usually, you know, now, now seeds of discord kind of start to grow. But, nonetheless, um, what was the overall effect that Paul and Barnabas had in Iconium? Verse 4. Divided. Yeah. So really, their, their presence there, kind of, they came into town, and now they divided the city. Some were for Paul and Barnabas, saw the merits of the gospel, saw what they were doing, saw that they were from God, and then the others were against them and, and rejected what they were doing. It says some sided with the Jews and then some sided with the apostles. And so really we kind of see where the Gentiles are. Really the Gentiles don't have an issue here in the city, but they're either being drawn into what the Jews are saying or they're siding with the apostles. Um, so what caused them to finally leave? They tried to kill him, yeah. And that's a good, good reason to, to get out of town. You know, this isn't the first time that Paul's been threatened with death. Um, if we kind of think, I don't know, if we stop, you guys remember the first time that Paul was threatened with death uh, was when he was in Damascus. Uh, what happened in Damascus? Do you remember how he escaped? 
Yeah, the city walls, he was lowered down by a basket because he heard there was going to be an attempt on his life. He made his way to Jerusalem and was preaching out in the open. And eventually the apostles had to say, like, hey, you know, why don't you go back to Tarsus because the people are really starting to get angry uh, with what you're saying. And so Paul's, you know, starting to, you know, I don't know if necessarily get used to this, but he's understanding that um, they want, they, they want, it says they want to mistreat him and to stone them. And so when you get to that point of like wanting to be stoned, you have to either decide, continue to preach the gospel, which up to this point, you know, when they were poisoning the minds of the Greeks against them, they, they said, okay, not yet, but now our lives are being threatened and now it's time for us to go. It doesn't always mean, you know, when your when your life is threatened that people leave. There are plenty of people that are in hostile areas to the gospel that that's where they live um, or that's where their ministry is. <clears throat> but at some point, they have to kind of make um, make that decision whether it's you know the Lord wants them to stay or the Lord wants them to leave. And for these guys, uh, the Lord is leading them to go. So it says they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and to Derby, And so now they go to the cities of uh, Lycanoia, um, and that is uh, just a new district that we're kind of headed into, um, into the, sun, su- the, the surrounding countries. And so uh, did they change anything about their ministry, verse 7, as they went to the new cities? No, they continue to preach the gospel. And that was why they're there. That's their mission. That's their job. <clears throat> That's what they were um, <clears throat> set to do. Um, and so they go to a new area. Lystra is about 20 miles south of Iconium. So as we kind of get to this bend, Lystra is about here. And then, so I guess maybe up here is, is uh, Iconium. And Lystra is about 20 miles south. Just about a day's journey. <clears throat> And so they get to this area. It's a Roman colony. Uh, it's a smaller town, but this area is going to be, it has a military outpost. Um, so that means it uh, um, has some sort of uh, governance. Um, it's a marketplace area for um, kind of a more uh, desert area, a plains area. When you get into this area, it's kind of the mountains. And so it's kind of a crossroads, and that's what, that's what it was known for. Um, as a marketplace to the region. There's a temple there that was built to Zeus, and we're going to see that, So, which means that there is a religious center there, um, and, and that's where they're going to head next. <clears throat> but nothing has changed with their ministry. Nothing has changed with what they're doing. They're continuing to preach the gospel, even with uh, you know, threats that are being breathed against them. So verse 8, now they're going to attract some unwanted attention as they get to this next place. It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Um, So why do you think, let's pause right here, why do you think that Luke uses kind of that term, he was crippled from birth and had never walked? Okay, yeah, to, see, to, to substantiate the fact that this wasn't a recent injury, that this was something that this man had dealt with his entire life. You know, Paul was a doctor, so he sometimes he includes some, or, sorry, Luke was a doctor. Um, and so he includes some of the, sometimes these details to kind of substantiate the fact of this is kind of what we 
are dealing with. And so, you know, as it seems like as Paul is walking through and Barnabas is walking through, um, he's speaking. We don't know if there's a crowd there or whatever, but it says in verse 9, he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So we have kind of, you know, Paul is speaking to a group of people and kind of catches, you know, the eye of this person that is looking at him. Um, And it's interesting because what does Paul recognize in this man? He recognized that he had faith. I mean, how is Paul able to recognize that? <laughs> yeah, only the Holy Spirit could, could do these things. And so we kind of get kind of a, uh, a notion here that, you know, when Paul, um, you know, right here is essentially an example of a sign and wonder that we are seeing that even though nothing, it wasn't explained what happened in the previous city, we're seeing something that happens here, that he sees that this man has faith, And he says in a loud voice, so not only he will hear it, but also that everyone else will hear it, to stand upright on his feet. Now, how did the guy respond? Sprang up. So he had faith. The fact that this man, you know, in the message that he was speaking was from God, and that this man, what he is saying, even to get up on your feet, he had faith in the fact that, you know, if somebody, if you were, were uh, unable to walk from birth and somebody said, get up, what would you say? I can't get up, you know. <laughs> Don't you think I've tried? I mean, it's not, a, 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 it's not a, a, you know, an issue of me not trying. Well, at the same time, he would have <laughs> True. Yeah, and, and we don't know how that metamorphosis, you know. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, for him, true, true. Yeah, and so how, how all that came up, you know, uh, because not only did he, he didn't get up, you know, quietly, he didn't get up with some assistance, he sprang up, right? And just like you said, that it was a full healing of his muscles that would never have been used before, never have been used um, and even, you know, looking at a toddler learning how to walk, like it's an example, you know, of the fact that you have to learn how to do something. Um, you know, people that have been in the hospital for a while uh, that haven't used their legs, not only because of the atrophy, when they get up, you know, it's something that, that whole, the whole balance and, you know, issue of trying to walk, but he sprang up and he began walking. No doubt something supernatural had happened. Sterling was only dancing. Your legs fall asleep, you know, you ever try to try to get up? <laughs> good point, Tim, good point. So Well, um, what, I mean, what would his life have been like if he was crippled from birth? This is, again, I say this is a you know, Roman, Roman colony, but it's a small area. It's more of a marketplace area. So, but it was kind of on a crossroads, but not, not a major city. Again, uh, in the area of a plains area, kind of you know, in the Midwest, 
uh, if you want to think about kind of kind of that way. Um, the last time that we saw a, a a beggar, you know, that was healed. Do you remember what he was doing? So he's begging for alms outside the temple. So he was in a place where people would have come in and out, you know, giving to the poor, and he was just begging in order to, to get his, you know, uh, you know, get get something to kind of live by. And this guy, he couldn't work, um, and again, it would have had to result to some sort of begging or people taking care of him um, and uh, having compassion on him, um, and you know, maybe supporting him you know, wherever he was, and even dragging him to where he needed to be um, and to listen to what Paul was saying. And so, yeah, I mean, they definitely were disadvantaged for him to be crippled. But we have a, par- we have a similarity to po- both of these things. Now, the difference is between Peter and uh, um, Peter's example was that Peter stopped, the guy begged for money, and he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this guy wasn't even looking to be healed, um, and Peter healed him. And we saw the same result is that the crowds were like, that guy has been begging every day. He's been lame you know, since birth every day outside this gate, and now this guy is healed. And so it be, you know, stirred up the attention of everybody, and then Peter preached the gospel to the crowds. Now Paul... Again, was just looking at this guy and said, you know, again, the Holy Spirit said, I, in him, recognized that this man had faith and said, stand up on your feet. But the same result, verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying uh, in Lycaonian, so this is, you know, this is what they're saying. They're, they're recognizing what's happening um, as something miraculous. They said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So what was going on here? So immediately, this, you know, Paul is again sharing his message. The guy has faith, so obviously sharing about Jesus Christ and the need for them to repent. And so he's already kind of been speaking to the crowds, and they respond in a language that he would not have known, um, that they are the gods. And so Paul uh, was, they said he was Hermes, uh, Hermes was the god and inventor of speech, and because it says he's the chief speaker and Hermes is the god of speech, um, that they associated Paul with Hermes. And then Barnabas, who's the chief god of, of all the gods, uh, was related to, you know, was, was this must be Barnabas. Now, you know, not knowing any background and what actually has happened in the city before, you may not get the connection. One is there has been archaeological findings. One, there's a temple of Zeus there, uh, which we see that they, you know, the priests of Zeus came out and wanted to sacrifice there. So archaeologically, they found temple of Zeus. They've also found a statue of Hermes that was dedicated to Zeus. So there is some sort of connection between Hermes and Zeus that is found historically um, at this city. But mythologically, um, there is a tradition that uh, holds, and this is what the MacArthur Study Bible and some other commentaries have said, but 
I'll read for you from the MacArthur Study Bible, uh, as they said it. According to tradition, the gods Zeus and Hermes visited uh, Lystra incognito, asking for food and lodging. All turned them away, except for a peasant named Philemon and his wife, uh, I think it's Baucus. The gods took vengeance by drowning everyone in a flood, but they turned the lowly cottage of Philemon and Baucus into a temple where they were to serve as priest and priestess. Not wanting to repeat their ancestors' mistake, the people of Lystra believed Barnabas to be Zeus and Paul to be Hermes. And so, again, essentially, these two gods had come down and were asking people of the city to be hospitable to them, but people turned them away except for this one couple. And there was, you know, and the tradition also states that um, as they were serving them some of their food, they were poor, uh, that they noticed that the wine that they were serving them kept filling back up, and then a bowl that they had kept filling back up as well. And they were overcome with fear. And it was at that time that the gods then revealed to themselves who they were and said, we're going to destroy everyone except you two, and they, you know, but we'll offer you one thing. And they just said, well, make us priest and priestess. Um, and also they asked you know, to be, uh, for both of them to die at the same time because one didn't want to look at the grave of the other. So when their time was, was done, and so it says the gods had granted them that. So that was part of their tradition that happened in this city. And again, it's a plain area, and back in Iconium, there was the, the tradition that that area had flooded and the gods had made people out of the mud. And so you have kind of this idea that, you know, this kind of flood mythology that people had been destroyed there previously, um, but each town has their kind of god mythology that is linked to this town. Barnabas, uh, in one of the, one of the depictions um, of Zeus and Hermes, uh, Hermes is kind of a younger man, and Zeus is portrayed as an older man, which also might show that Paul at this time, which you know, people think that he's maybe around 40, uh, is the younger, and Barnabas is a little bit older. You know? And so that's maybe why that they connected these two. So, but how did, the, how, did, how did the people respond to them? They said, you guys are these gods, that are here, right? You're obviously doing things that we've never seen before. We recognize that, but what did they do incorrectly? They recognized that they were from God, but they did what? Well, they, they were going to worship them, but the fact is, is what happened. They could only have them from God. And they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't know the God of God. Yes. So they only could, only could go to what they knew. And so that's why they went to Zeus and Hermes. Yes. Yeah. And so all of a sudden this, this commotion is stirred up and uh, animals are brought out that are going to be sacrificed. Garlands are thrown around their head. They're all of a sudden like, you know, looked at as gods. Now, if something like that happened to you, how would you respond? Like you were in Hawaii or something. What's that? <laughs> You always see, you know, you kind of always see those depictions of, uh, you know, natives like, you know, bestowing you know, honors on the people and usually people readily accept. Um, that's kind of one of those things that, you know, uh, you know, if, if anyone has ever been in a position where it may be in a, a position of honor, a position of, you know, um, recognition or accolades given or whatever, you know, there's one of two ways that you could respond. One could be what? Accepting it, yeah. And a lot of times when there's an honor or recognition or accolades, we accept it because of the work that was done, right? You know, we, we uh, did this thing and we are rewarded for it or awarded for it. And so we accept that honor and recognition. Or the other way is to what? 
Did you say beginning being a Christian? <laughs> Just put a put a line. What's that? Well, yeah, and I guess it depends on it depends on what what the what the recognition is for. If it's for something that we have done, typically, you know, we can accept that, or you can also be humbled by it, right? And understand the fact that you know there's plenty of places to go in Scripture where you know it's God who is the one that did the work in you, uh, did the work in the people that are recognizing you, did did the work that's behind you, and understanding that it's God who is doing that, and for them to even accept what's going on here would be right, would be hypocrisy of saying what, you know, me healing this guy is my power because Paul would have understood that he had nothing to do with this man, even though he was the one who, rec- who, who was used to recognize this man, used to say in a loud voice to stand up. It is not him, the one that he is doing. And so immediately he recognizes this as something that, um, that he should, should not accept. And so we move into correcting the people, correcting the people. And we, might, we probably won't get through this whole, whole part, but we'll at least kind of see what happened and maybe unpack this a little bit. But, you know, sometimes it's kind of good to think, like, how would we respond, um, you know, in, in, that, in that situation? Now, we've just been speaking... He, he had just been speaking, healed somebody, the people rush out, they want to bestow gifts and honor on them, they bring out animals to sacrifice, he's standing in front of the priest of Zeus, and this is what he says. He says, when the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, meaning they, they learned like, what's going on here, uh, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. So we see that Paul and Barnabas, again, they're standing right in front of the priests and they say these pretty bold words right to their face. And we'll kind of unpack this in just a second. Um, but what was the first thing they did? Yeah, when they realized that, it says they tore their garments. Um, possibly the garlands that were put around their necks, possibly they were given garments to put on, or possibly it's their own clothes. But they tore their garments, that was a sign of what? It was a sign of mourning, right? A sign of like, you know, to kind of like basically show like this is not, you know, to get people's attention. And that was something in Jewish custom that, that they did to tor- tear their clothes, usually when there was an act of blasphemy against God. And so they got the people's attentions and they said, you know, what was the message? The first thing they said is what? Yeah, we're men like you. We're not gods, Okay. I know you want to like bestow honor on us, and it's great because the last place we're at, they wanted. Well, the last two places we're at, uh, they wanted to get rid of us, and we had a lot of like reviling, a lot of anger towards us, and we've been really nice to accept, you know, 
sacrifices. It had been really nice to accept garlands. It had been really nice to accept the pleasing words and the accolades of the people at this time. But they had to set the record straight that they would have been dishonest um, in that. And they said, we are like you. We're not gods. And that's the first thing. Secondly, that they have what? What are they, they bringing to them? Good news, right? We have good news for you. Now, one of the reasons that the people responded that way is because the last time these two gods, these two gods rolled into town, they were bringing bad news. They were bringing basically, if you don't serve us, you know, we're flooding your area and everybody is going to be killed. So they want to make sure like, they don't make that same mistake. But Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, we're not here to bring anything bad. You, know, you don't have to respond to us out of appeasing us because that was their knee-jerk reaction. Really, like the gods and men, pagan gods and and man, they kind of kept out of each other's business. But if they found that there was anything that was going to go against what the people did, they typically wanted to appease the gods. And so usually that's what the relationship was. Was not, you know, it was usually like, don't just don't be angry with us. And that was how they reacted. And so they said, we're just messengers here and we're bringing you good news. So we're not gods, but we are messengers from God, and the message that we have is good news. And so they told him what? Turn from what? So it's a message of repentance. Okay, worthless things, vain things, These and, and what are they referring to? Sacrifice to pagan gods. Now, if you had any sort of like correlation with like, well, what what Paul is doing here um, and how he's speaking to these people, I mean, we have really the same application, although how we phrase it may be a little different. But they're saying, turn from things that are empty, worthless, vain. You know, that's that word that is being used. Essentially, they're pagan God. And I want you to turn to the living God, okay? A God that is alive. It's not stone. It's not something that you worship. And we're going to see that later on in Scripture, how Paul uses those words. And I want you to turn to something, you know, that is real. That's a message that everybody can hear. I mean, if you share the gospel with anybody, you can almost say the same thing. I want you to turn from the worthless things that you are worshiping in your life and turn to something that is actually real. What are the worthless things that people worship? Okay, money, right? You know, temporary. What's that? Did you say something? Oh, money. Okay. So we hear money. What's that? Entertainment. What's that? Material things, sports, you know, pleasure, happiness, a, a life free from pain. Could be actual, you know, pagan gods. It could be, um, you know, their family, their children. Uh, it could be uh, their job, you know, what else. All of those things, while there are good aspects of all of these things, except pagan gods and some of the other things, uh, while there are good aspects, right, <laughs> To have that as like your central focus is really vain and worthless. If any sports fan really knows, you know, if you've ever spent like a season like really devoted to a team after the fact, I don't know about you, but sometimes after the fact, I think, I think I spent a little bit more time like watching football or doing something, you know, that really was vain or worthless. Um, if anyone has ever binged watched something, you know, sometimes that's you know, the feeling you're left with afterwards. You're like, I don't know why I got sucked into that show, but afterwards I spent too much time on what I was doing. And Paul is saying 
These things are worthless. They are empty. They're vain. And he's telling these people, these priests, I know your whole livelihood. I know you've brought out things to worship, and you know, but it's worthless. <laughs> it's empty. So pretty bold. But Paul is not, you know, against to, to being bold. And I want you to turn to a living God. And he says, he made everything around you. And he appeals to creation. And that's really a good way to, to, in an apologetic, to help somebody. You know, I want you to turn from something that is really this man-made construct. If it was something like sports, again, your work or whatever. And I want you to turn from like this small thing that is really, you know, seasonal or small thing that is, you know, individual or this small thing. And I want you to just... Worship the God that made everything around you. And he says, you don't know him by name, this God, but you know him by what he has provided. And all of the good things that you've experienced in life, and he appeals to the rains that have come down from heaven, and all of these things that, that he has provided from you. So, so I want you to know that this God is a good God. The gods that you worship, they're not providing these things for you. The gods that you worship, you are worshiping out of fear. This God is a God that has made everything that transcends all these things and that you can appeal to. And so, how do they respond? Really, it, it seemed to kind of fall on deaf ears. Um, that they, despite doing these things, right, um, that even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but we just want to make sure we appeal our gods. We just want to make sure we have a safety net, you know, just, just in case. And so um, we'll kind of pause there and then maybe come back and look at this and see what happens as a response to this um, and how this message is a little bit different because Paul is speaking to a mainly Gentile audience and how it's a little bit different than the message that he is speaking to a Jewish audience. But it's instructive for us because it's no one-size-fits-all um, message that Paul gives, but we do see that they are bold in the face of opposition they're not blind to threats that face them. And sometimes they, when there are threats that force them to leave or to move on. Um, but sometimes, there are, even in the midst of threats, they feel compelled to stay because they know that God is working in the midst of the people. Um, all right, so we'll pause there. Are there any, I don't know, final comments or, or thoughts that you guys have? I, uh, yes, he is. So we'll see that on the second missionary journey. Uh, but yes, he is from that town. So, um, yeah. Yes, all right. Well, 